Bow our heads for a word of prayer. Loving and gracious Father in heaven, your word teaches and instructs. And sometimes your word is it's not an easy word because it challenges and challenges us in our lives to to do things that make us uncomfortable it challenges us to examine our hearts and to figure out by your word if we are living and according to your will and not our own. Give us strength and wisdom and pour your spirit into our hearts and our lives that we can not only serve you but point others to the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our gospel lesson today, Matthew 18. Sometimes when we hear that reference, we get a little uncomfortable. Because if we say, follow or practice Matthew 18, the first thing that we think about is the stuff that begins with verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. But it's important for us to take a look at this scripture in context and what it is that Jesus is teaching. And the reason that he shares this teaching in the first place you see, what happens at the very beginning of chapter 18 is the disciples come to him and they are kind of asking this question among themselves, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And really what they're asking is, which one of us disciples is the greatest disciple? It's kind of like when pastors get together at a pastor's conference and they go, which one of us is the greatest preacher? Um, that never happens by the way or which one of us is the greatest theologian and I always thought the question would be who takes care of their sheep the challenge for us is not to determine who is the greatest because that's a worldly perspective when we are seeking after the greatness a, a position of power or strength or whatever it might be that's a worldly thing in fact, we are reminded that we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, as the psalmist reminds us. And yet that's sometimes hard. To humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord is to be mindful of those things that Jesus teaches even, even to his disciples. 
that when you go to a, uh, a festival, a feast, a wedding, whatever it might be, that you don't seek for yourself the highest chair of honor, but rather that you take the lowest seat so that the host of the, the wedding, the, the steward, can come and move you up to the appropriate place. In past years, we affectionately refer to that as the Bob Euchre seat. Some of you might remember those commercials. Humble. Well, that's kind of contrary to our sinful human nature. Wash the feet of another. That's beneath us. Stop to take care of somebody who's wounded in a ditch? I don't want to get involved. Deal with the sin of another? No chance. We are a people who like to be comfortable who like to be recognized, who like to be lauded, uh, people who in our sinful nature don't always want to be very humble. To illustrate this to his disciples, Jesus begins to compare this to dealing with children. And you got to remember in that day, in that age, it wasn't unlike earlier, even, you know, a couple of generations ago where the old adage used to be true, children should be seen and not heard. Now Jesus is saying, you need to be like children. I'm thinking about that. He holds them up as an example of humbleness. You think about it, a little child. At a certain age, what do they do when they're around other people? Uh, in their shyness, they hide behind the legs of mom or dad. They don't really want to engage. They're not worried about who the most important is or who the most popular is. They just are there. And yet somewhere along the line, as children grow up, they begin to embrace more and more that sinful nature and all of a sudden popularity matters. The pecking order in school or in the workplace begins to matter. And all of a sudden humility goes out the window. And yet Jesus holds these small children up like an example and says, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is not about fame or fortune or power or wealth or greatness. It's about putting ourselves last and others first. Woe to the world, he says, for temptations to sin. 
And he goes into that hyperbole of saying, if your hand causes you to sin, uh, cut it off and throw it away. If your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out and toss them away. It's better to enter into eternity maimed than to go into hell complete and whole. We don't take those words literally, but Jesus uses them to illustrate how, how challenging it is to deal with our own sin. For which one of us wants to cut off a hand or pluck out an eye? That's hard. We would never do that. And yet the reality is it's also hard for us to deal with our sin, to humble ourselves to the point where we can come before, before the Lord and say, I messed up. I not only messed up, I sinned against you. And if it's hard for us to do to a God that we can approach privately, and imagine how hard it is to do it with another individual that we have to look in the eye. Some would say it's easier to cut off your hand than it is to say, I sinned against you. So what does Jesus do? He reminds us that God goes to the extreme lengths. That God goes to find the one sheep that's lost. That God goes to find the one that's astray so that he can bring them back into the fold. He reminds us that like a little child, this one sheep is valuable. He reminds us that every sinner is valuable. And that it's important for us to speak with them. And now we get to that part of Matthew 18 that everybody kind of dreads. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. But again, it's that spiritual mindset of how we enter into those conversations because this is not to be the conversation from someone who thinks that they are high and mighty or that they're the greatest in the kingdom, but rather from someone who has humbled himself in the sight of the Lord, who has confessed his sins. And receive forgiveness, who has removed the plank from his own high, who is in a right relationship with Christ, who approaches this task in humility and in humbleness, not out of I'm better than you are kind of thing, but rather out of a concern for someone's eternity. Because that's what the conversation is about. Eternity.
If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fall just between you and him. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's the goal, to gain your brother, to gain your sister, to gain the one who is living in a way contrary to Christ Jesus, to gain them back to the kingdom. To be patient and loving and humble and sharing the truth of God's word. And of course, we know the process here. If they don't listen to you, then involve someone else in that conversation as well. The whole goal is to bring somebody to the point where we understand what it means to confess our sins. To remind them that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The goal is to bring one another to the point of forgiveness, confession, and grace, and mercy. It's not easy. It's challenging. It means we put ourselves at risk of accusation. We're afraid sometimes to confront others with a sin because we think, oh, I'm a sinner too. And then we might fall back on that verse that everybody uses as a convenient excuse not to talk to someone else whose eternity is in trouble. We say, well, the scriptures say, do not judge, lest ye be judged. We go, oh, I'm not supposed to judge, so I'm not going to say anything. We just yanked that verse out of context to justify not doing what Christ calls us to do. Even in our Old Testament lesson today, we are reminded that we are to what? Speak to the one who is wicked. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. You mean if I don't say anything to him? His blood is on me? That's a pretty heavy burden. And yet, that's the burden that God has placed upon us. Pastor, then there's no hope for me because I've kept my mouth shut in all sorts of times, in all sorts of places. I've walked away from situations and I haven't said anything. Remember that even when you mess up, and even when you don't do it right, that you still have a Savior who took the blood of the whole world upon himself, the sins of the whole world upon himself, and who suffered and died for you so you can be forgiven. 
We live in that grace and mercy every day. We are God's forgiven people, but in that forgiveness, he also empowers us then to take that forgiveness to the world. It is beholden to us. It is laid upon us that we preach the truth of God's word in season and out of season. That we teach it to others. That we help them to see Jesus Christ more clearly. That we help them to understand his love. And that confessing our sins is not about who's best. Or who's worst. It's not about who's right. Who's wrong. It's about eternity. It's about fixing a broken relationship. It's about the love of Jesus who paid the price. So we can say the words, you are forgiven. That's the message. It's the power that we have power that we have to love our neighbor as ourself and in so doing to offer God's mercy and grace. It's the message the world needs to hear today. Not tomorrow. Not when we have time. Not when we feel comfortable about it. But today. Can you imagine if every Christian in this country would speak up about the love of Jesus Christ vocally, verbally, and live it in their lives, can you imagine the impact that that would have? Instead, we often keep it to ourselves and are quiet. It's time for us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, to be available to God, for Him to use us in mighty and powerful ways, to win for the kingdom of heaven the soul of one person at a time, to change their lives for eternity. Come to them like little children. Remember, what else do children have? There's that point in their lives when they're not afraid to say anything to anyone. It comes out, out of the mouth of babes. Let's be like children. Next time you're out in public, hum a few bars, sing a few bars of Jesus loves me, this I know. See what kind of reaction you get. Next time you're around other people, let them know. Hey, just want to remind you, 
Jesus loves you. Let's speak it not just to ourselves, not just to each other, but to the world, to our community. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.